Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for supporting the show. Even when I was not doing active shows, I was like on a little uh, getaway. I was uh, doing some business, uh, getting a license. I'm now a licensed social worker, and um you guys were still downloading shows, so I just want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. You can also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And I'm on Instagram, uh, lots of cool pictures. Uh, we're going to be doing some giveaways. I'll be giving away um, a book today from scratch. Uh, my guest today is Tembi Locke. She's an actress. She's an author. Um, she was the caregiver. She's an inspirational speaker. She has a great TED Talk you should check out, um, talking about the steps she took dealing with grief. And there might be a movie coming out uh, based on her book called From Scratch. Uh, good morning, Timby. Good morning, Joy. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure it is to be together this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having time to do the interview. I know you're very busy. We were going back and forth, so I just really appreciate it. And also with this virus thing going on. Ah! <laughs> I, I, right? I, we, I, look, I'm stumbling over words right now. I mean, it's, it's hard to wrap our minds and hearts and really anything around this moment. So, you know, it's nice to come together to be able to talk about ways to uplift, to talk about books, talk about, you know, things that both intersect with our current moment, but also are sort of timeless, right? Like the big themes of life. And I think that this virus has brought a lot of that forward, especially grief. Yes. Yes, it is because people are losing their jobs. People are maybe becoming caregivers because other people may have lost income, can't have home care come in. Family people have to go help each other. Um, it's really stretching people to their limits. And um, also when people may not have support, what do they do when they're alone and they're, you know, just trying to deal with, like, life and you can't go out. You can't go to movies. You can't yes. listen to music. You can't, you know, what do you do, you know? How are you dealing with this COVID? What are you doing with you and your daughter, your family? Are there special things that you guys are doing? What, what are you doing to deal with this time? 
You know what? I am like literally pulling everything out the toolbox that I have. Like I'm at the scrape in the bottom <laughs> trying to figure out how to, because how do you meet this moment, right? And it's it feels like, and I'm now, I think, what, 78 or so days into this, 79 days into this, into being quarantined. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's changed a lot over those days, right? And my yeah. my approach has changed. And at first it was sort of like, you know, rapid response, you know, you know, okay, let's, 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 let's get everything in order. Let's, and then now that you sort of settle into that routine, then it's some of the bigger, the deeper things of like, okay, now what, not only what next, but how do I stay both um, physically healthy, emotionally healthy, socially healthy, and do it not only for myself, but also I have, a, you know, my daughter's a teenager. And so it's, it has required me, one, um, reaching out a lot and look, seeking people who have a lot more knowledge in this area, either to be a professional, licensed professional like you, you know, social worker, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. books, you know, but really actively taking an active role in trying to sort of put health and wellness in all of its forms at the forefront. And what well, you had for some me, practice with that, you know, you had some practice I have had, and that's yep. part of this book yep. with you getting yes. ready for a storm, so to speak, uh, in your book, mm-hmm. talking about how you met this beautiful man um, physically and emotionally, spiritually, he seemed just so beautiful. Like, I mean, I felt him coming from your words and then, mm-hmm. you know, his illness. So let's start with the beginning. You met this guy where and he did what? All right, so yes, you know, I I love starting at this beginning because it is, you know, it's beautiful. So I'm, you know, I was a college student and I went to Florence, Italy to study art history. And I really thought I was, you know, going there just to do that, study art history and come on back home, you know. Um, And yet life, fate, destiny had another plan for me. And so I'm walking down the street one day. I'm not giving anything away. This is all, you know, (laughs) if you haven't read the book, this is, you know, on the back cover pretty much. Um, So I'm walking down (laughs) the street one day and I literally, I literally rounded a corner and bumped into this man. And that moment, I didn't know it, of course, at the time, but it would change my life uh, completely. And that faded, you know, sort of talk about bumping into your, your fate, your destiny, you know, on a street corner in Italy. It turned out he's a chef. We fell in love and we set out on this improbable journey to build a life together from, you know, me being black American from Texas with these sort of civil rights activist parents, him being from Sicily and a chef, he was, you know, 12 years older than me. And it was like, and I had to go back to school at some point. So it was like, how are we going to make this work? Right. And this is, this is before people, (laughs) you know, we were Twittering and texting and social media. It was like, how do you hold a connection and a relationship together. And yet we did. And we ended up marrying. And that that, that was the beginning of this great, great love, right? And I write yeah. about now that the in the book. Is, and like, mm. no, I just want to say real quick, you were um, talking about a gelato store. And I had a crazy experience in Florence, right? I went to this store to get some gelato. And me and my girlfriend would be basically that swindled. Now, she was living there. She should have known better. But come to find out, we ended up paying, like, almost, like, $15, $16 or something for, for a 
her. Yeah, you got her wings. Yeah, she got her wings, and her fiance, who was Italian, was cracking up at us. And I was just like, what do I know? I'm following her lead. They started scooping. They didn't say anything till the end, and we paid. So that was cracking me up, that that, that store, that when you met him there. Because I just, it brought back that memory uh, of, oh, of being yeah. hoodwinked about getting, like, this crazy price gelato. Totally store, a tourist well, that was Totally, totally. <laughs> Well, that was one of the things that, you know, sort of being a foreigner, being an American, also being a black American in, you know, another part of the world and being so young, you know, you're on this adventure and for better or for worse, all kinds of things will happen to you along the way. And, you know, one of the beauties of that time in my life was, of course, obviously meeting this person, you know, who I would, you know, fall in love with and who would, you know, change the course of my life. But, you know, I write about in the book, these sort of youthful adventures and being that fish out of water and not understanding things and trying to make sense of a new place and a new language. And, you know, I, I didn't know it, but I would, you know, continue to spend much of my life, even till now, you know, sort of being on that journey. I love going new places and discovering new things. And I don't mind being the fish out of water. You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. even if I spend $15 for some ice cream, <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, right. guess I learned. <laughs> Now, this guy was really persistent with you, and you were just pushing him off, pushing him off. Now, one day, um, he did something really special in the rain. Do you want to tell the audience what he did while he was in the rain? What was he doing? Yeah. So here's the thing. You know, you like I said, I was 20 years old. I'm in Italy. I am not thinking I am, at this point, I was definitely not thinking I am going to meet somebody here and, you know, eventually get married to them. And in a way, you know, as much as he was very demonstrative of his love and was showing, you know, you know, sort of showing me all the ways, I, I couldn't quite fully allow myself to fall into it, to lean into it. And then, and then one night he said, we had this arrangement that when he finished work at his restaurant, he would come to my apartment in Piazza uh, Piazza Santo Spirito, which is a piazza in Florence, and he couldn't ring the doorbell because it would wake up everybody in the building. So he would stand outside, and at a certain point, I would go and look out into the you know look out of the street, and I would let him in. Well, I fell asleep, and when I woke up, I realized, oh my gosh, there's no way he could. There's just no way he's going to be there because it was raining. It was raining hard, and I run to the front window of this apartment that I was renting with some with friends, and there he was, standing in the rain, waiting for me. And that is when three I hours. Knew. You said three hours. Yes. I think it was or something. Yes, 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 yes. yes. It was well okay. past the point of anybody to stand <laughs> out in the rain and wait for me. <laughs> and yet there he was. And that I think was a way that he all the words he had said, you know about caring for me and loving me and wanting this, that, and the other, there, that moment crystallized. He put love into action. And I knew that he was someone who was steadfast and who could be present and who could, you know, literally wait for me to come mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you did. And thankfully you did because you had a great story. And you did have some difficulties, though, on, on both sides. His family, they were not happy about this. And what did they do when, uh, talk about 
something they didn't show up for something that was pretty important it was an important yes thing. yes 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 that that pretty important thing is a life-defining moment called a wedding and mm-hmm. um we got married <laughs> um so 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 a little bit of you know back the back story there is that um you know he un, i guess not unlike many families you know they had their own family dynamic and some of it had some you know sort of strife or or fracture between father and son, right? So that's an age-old parent-child conflict. And yeah. his father really hadn't approved of a lot of his choices in life, the fact that he, you know, didn't follow the family business, if you will, that he was living in Florence. So by the time I came onto the picture as this black American woman that he chose, was choosing to spend his life with, and we were getting married now in Florence, his family said they could not condone, support, or get behind the marriage, and they did not come to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And that was a defining moment for both of us. Oh well, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was hurt. I was a little at first. I was just incredulous. I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> like, huh? You know?" <laughs> I just quite couldn't. I was like, "What are we talking about? Like, for real?" Because for me, family, you know, people, and I come from people who 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 would move mountains for the kids who show up. And this idea of, you know, being so staunch and rooted in um, disavowing yourself of your own child was too much. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And I was hurt, but more than my own hurt, I was hurt for him. Because I knew that in order for us to begin a life in his choosing me, he had to forsake his family. And that was something I never thought I'd be at the center of causing that 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 further fracture between father and son and it wasn't just between father and son because based on the story you talk about father is the head and nobody Mm -hmm. was supposed to go to the wedding nobody Mm -hmm. nobody nobody to go against his word sister cousin exactly second third nobody cousin down the street down the hill nobody no Mm -mm. um but i think um yeah yeah it's That's a lot because, of the um, patriarchy. Mm-hmm. I was just going there with that. And, yep, a lot of patriarchy. So and the way in which, you know, no, totally different than our culture, which, you know, certainly is, you know, I mean, in my family, you know, a lot of strong matriarchs, but also the, um, you know, this idea of individual will, which is very American, like, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Y'all can do what you're going to do, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And that was really not the case culturally. That was not the case. The culturally, it was like we are from a small town in Sicily. The head of the family says this. If I go against the head of the family, that is going to cause more pain for everyone, so we will fall in line. And that also mm-hmm. for me as a young black American woman was a hard concept for me to, to sort of understand. Now, it is not unique to Sicilian people. There are cultures all around the world that follow that, some right here in America. Oh, yeah. um, but mm-hmm. that I, you know, but, but it was really my firsthand um, intimate knowledge of it. And I really kept thinking in my own sort of youth and naivete and my sort of American optimism, like, well, they just need to meet me and then they'll, fit, they'll understand. Like, then we'll just be past yes. this. <laughs> like, this, yes. you know. And you, and and, you did that. You, know, you did that by buying I tickets. I did. Because you bought tickets, didn't tell your husband, and then you were like, oh, by the way, I bought some tickets. Um, <laughs> tell the audience what happened with him when you told him about this. You bought tickets. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so at that point, we, this is, you know, after we're married now, we've been married about 
two years. And I, you know, I effectively had not met my in-laws two years into being married. And I just felt like in my gut somewhere, I was like, you know what, we, as for our marriage to work long term, we've got to have some sense of resolution. We've got to try to sort of, you know, um, move the needle here a little bit. And I knew he wasn't mm. going to do it, you know, Sato, my husband, because he was just like, you know, basically, I think he had to sort of push it off to the corner, you know, this is this conflict with his family. He didn't want to look at it. So I said, well, we are. And so I was like, well, we're going to look at it. And I bought a ticket, two tickets for us to go to Sicily. And I and I, I really bum-rushed him. I, I just hit him with it. And I said, I have tickets, we're going. And he was both frustrated, angry. He couldn't believe what I had done. And yet, he somewhere deep inside knew it was the, what we kind of had to do. And so we flew to Italy and we flew to Sicily and we flew and checked into a hotel about, I don't know, uh, 15 miles away from his hometown, his ancestral home. And we waited to see what would happen. Every day. For what? Every day. Days, I think it was. Every day. It was about seven. And nobody was coming. And, and, and nobody came because the message there was, you're not you're not welcome like you you aren't welcome and so that's when I really understood the depth of what what fear what um, a sense of predetermined ideas a rooted fixed ideas of the unknown like when when you get deeply rooted in that you simply become stuck and I felt like that's what I was seeing. Like they would not, we were literally 15 miles. We flew halfway around the world. And still to, to be um, wedded to this, this idea of, of, of I'm not going to bring shame on my family by condoning this. And even though you were a stone throw away, I'm not going to go see you. And so it became kind of a waiting game. And, you know, but I think what happened for my husband and I was we realized we had done our part. We had done everything we could do, and at that point it was up to them. And either they would change or they wouldn't. And if they didn't, then we would have that grief to suffer, and but we would go on with our lives knowing we'd done our part. And if they came around, then great, we would try to begin to do some kind of repair and build some kind of relationship. Now, and eventually. Into, eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to tell them what happened eventually. We want to keep a secret. So Good. Let's let them read the, the book. book. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> So the, the story, though, is broken into you have summers that you were going to um, Sicily. And now this is another thing, just real quick, uh, audience. Sicily is not part of Italy. And that was a whole other issue, too. So there's all this classism in the book. There's uh, racism in the book. There's sexism in the book. And then there's grief in the book. Tell us what happened that brought on this this grief uh, or or what triggered the grief is that Something happened to your husband. Yes. So he um, was diagnosed with um, a rare form of cancer. And um, that was the first big, you know, sort of not only, you know, huge life-altering moment, but the first beginning of really my grief. I can look back on it now and say that. At the time, I just thought, we're going to fight this. We're going to get through this. And I couldn't really call it that. But now I have, you know, I have the language and people talk about it more openly now. The idea that a diagnosis is a kind of a grief because you're grieving the life that you thought you were going to have, right? As you confront Mm -hmm. now uh, for us, cancer. And so we, um, I became his caregiver. And for the next 
10 years, that was at the epicenter of our lives as we became parents, as we, you know, fought this, this, you know, people use the term enemy to talk about, you know, this cancer to sort of, you know, prevail and to help him survive. And then um, after 10 years, he passed away. And I, our daughter was seven years old at the time, and it became about how do I go forward now after this great love and now this earth-shattering loss, and I'm now like a solo parent, I'm a young widow, and the book is structured around those first three summers that I traveled to Sicily, the place I was just talking about, (laughs) to be with his mother and what that would look like and what we might find there or not find and see, to see if we could indeed hold on to or forge some kind of relationship. And the book is a lot you about You guys are going to need a box of tissue, about, okay? Let me tell the audience. Yeah. They're going to need a box of tissue for some beautiful, happy moments and funny stuff that you just want to, like, fall off your chair cracking it up. And then for these, like, moments you're like damn really you had to go there you know (laughs) yeah I mean I really Um, wanted to write you know when I I really wanted to write about you know the courage to love and that that means like in in all forms right in in both being 20 and falling in love and having the courage to like really really accept the, 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 what was right in front of me, this beautiful human who was standing in front of the rain, right? That kind of romantic love, choosing to accept that yeah. call, right? But then also later, many years later, as a newly widowed young person and mom, like the courage to love his mother and yes. to love yes. a life that, that was, we had that built and what that could look like. And could she love me back? Yeah, yeah. She she Wait, wasn't very talkative. She was not very talkative. No, she was not. The way you which describe her, both her no. yes, which is both her personality, but also her grief and also her culture. And so mm-hmm. there was not mm-hmm. a lot of like you know let's sit around and 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 talk about the ways in which we're connected and it, you know culturally you know that's the book is also a love letter to Sicilian culture, which is not a culture I thought I would fall in love with. <laughs> by the way, um, yeah. But it, I did, and I have, um, because I have spent time there, and I, I, I know it intimately, and I understand it in a way as much as an outsider can um, in a deeply moving way. And a lot of that is through both my late husband, but also through my mother-in-law, and the way in which over the course of the book and over the course of these three summers, we have to create something new from scratch, you know, this whole new relationship. Um, and and she had to ignite her courage, too, you know, and, yes, and both of us were lost, grieving deeply at the time. Yes, very, she lost two men in her life. You lost one and a half. I don't know if you want to say one and a half, two. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that mm-hmm. was really beautiful, and this is a tear moment, okay, she was sharing with you the things that were in her drawers, Mm-hmm. Her dresser drawers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Nipple, <laughs> you know? And I then she know. Got to the last I drawer. know. Tell what happened when she got to the last drawer. Well, so in in, in her home in, in Sicily, um, and this has happened, you know, this is this is not the first summer, but we are together. And she asked me to, you know, go through 
her, she said, look at, open this drawer. And she showed me what was there. And they were clothes to take to the hospital. And she was like, well, these are clothes I've prepared for if I have to stay during the winter. And she was sort of walking me through. And I wasn't really fully understanding the impact of the moment until she said, open the last drawer. And when I got to the last drawer, she says, these are the clothes that I will be buried in. And she said, and I, I, I want you to see them. And that's when I knew, you know, a woman of few words, she was showing me, right, and bringing me into the most intimate part of who she was. And she was also saying, I want you to know that someday I won't be here. And this is the way I can show a connection and a love with you. And it was a really deeply, deeply intimate moment, like uh, not unlike ones I had with my, you know, grandmother in East Texas, not unlike, you know, um, the small gestures that we, we extend to people that we care about. And that's what it felt like in the moment. And um, mm -hmm. I had to put that moment in the book because it was pivotal. It was the first time I really felt like, her daughter-in-law, right? In a real I, and I way. felt that as well. Yeah. Now talking about the grief and letting go, um, one of the things that told you was um, getting your daughter involved in the process. Um, talk about that. How do you help a child grieve a parent? What are the steps? Some of the things that the therapist and, and things that you decided to do that seemed to help. Yeah, well, one of the things that started, and, and by the way, thank you for asking that question. I really, um, I, I, you know, I use the word like, but I do I appreciate being able to talk about it because I think you never know who it's going to reach and who it might help at any given moment. So the first yes. thing mm -hmm. we did was to, I, I chose to, the, I was advised, always be honest, always be direct. Now, this, that doesn't mean overload a child with a lot of information, but speak to them in an age-appropriate way, but do not withhold or lie or, you know, avoid because they will pick up on that and they will subtly be getting the message that it's not okay to grieve. So I was very honest with her in the, in the final days of her father's life about what was happening. And in age-appropriate seven-year-old language, I told her what was happening and then um, allowing her to, you know, checking in with her to say, what would you like? And, what, and, and really valuing and holding what was meaningful to her at that time because she's getting, she was getting ready to lose a father and then immediately after his passing in those weeks and months, you know, she's going through her own experience. We both lost the same person, but we had different relationships with them. And I don't know what it's like mm -hmm. to lose a parent, right? My parents are both still alive and they certainly, you know, and not at seven years old. And so one of the things they said was include them in the, in the child in the process. You know, I had her plan what she would like for the memorial, what she, how she would want to participate. She, you know, orchestrated her own, you know, version of a wake where she had just heard her elementary school friends, only about four or five, come to the house and they drew together and they played music together because she could see all these adults were coming to the house to talk to me and were offering condolences to me and they would give her a stuffed animal and then walk away. And she right, was right. real hip to the fact that, like, nobody was really checking in with her. And I really so, like that honesty, part. I really like that part. That's really important. I don't think that um, – but but then the question comes: How can you do that when you're grieving yourself? 
Well, How that's the hard part. How can you take yeah. care of this other person, but you yourself are grieving? What things did you do or what was around you that helped you still be present uh, for her, you know? Yeah. It was, you know, here's the thing. I'll be real honest. Being a mother helped me a lot as a grieving person because when I couldn't focus on my own care and taking care of myself, mm-hmm. something about being a mother, I prioritized that at times over my own grief. So I would show up for her even when I was dog tired. And then when she would go to school, if I could, and if I didn't have to work that day, or if she would go play with a friend, I would fall out, (laughs) quite frankly, and just (laughs) kind of have the time for me because I knew I was holding up her space for her. And sometimes that looked like just making space for her feelings, but not doing anything about it, you know? And so what I mean by that is not trying to solve it or fix it because you can't fix grief, right? It's not to be fixed. You can just make space for it. And so in terms of my own self-care, I, you know, I definitely leaned into immediate family, close family and and friends when I could. Mm -hmm. Um, I, there are many grief camps for kids, uh, which of course now we're in a pandemic, so we can't, do that, but when the world opens Mm -hmm. up again, yeah, there's that work where kids who have that shared experience can come together. We did a lot of journaling and artwork together around it. And And um, I think the book is a form, the book itself is possibly something that helped you writing your story, and then now you've shared it with others. Um, We we, we only have a couple seconds left. But I, I want to thank you for, for sharing the story. I want people to check out her website, 10 com. Also, um, she has an organization, The Kitchen Widow, and you can learn mm-hmm. more about that. Um, she did a great TED Talk. Check her out on, on TED Talk. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm sorry we have to oh. cut it short. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I just thank you for the time that you've taken today. No, thank you, Joyce, so much. This is a pleasure. And thank you for this thoughtful conversation. I'm honored. I'm honored to to chat with you today. Stay well and healthy during this crazy pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) You do the same. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Stay tuned. 1130, I'm going to be speaking with trumpeter Keon Harold. Um, please, Hemby Locks website, I'm going to be giving away a copy of her book. Uh, follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys on Facebook, and Saturdays with Joy Keys on Instagram. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
the laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.